Hello, everybody, and welcome to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray, and in today, I chat with the award-winning writer, producer, and director, Bill Bennett. This conversation was epic. Not only has this gentleman won two Logies, he's been nominated for 12 AFI awards and has won titles including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Writer. But what's most fascinating about Bill is his story about how he learned to trust his intuition that stopped him literally inches from being T-boned by a truck. After this, Bill spent over a decade traveling the world and studying and researching what intuition is all about and to create a widely acclaimed feature documentary PGS. Honestly, I can tell you right now, this is one of my most favorite podcasts. So if you'd like to strengthen your intuition, if you'd like to learn about your intuition and just get in touch with the things that you don't understand, get ready for this one. It's going to go deep. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Bill Bennett. Uh, Lovely to be here. Thank you. Great to have you here, mate. Really good. Uh, now, I have to say, like you, the reason we've got you in here is obviously to speak about intuition and it's something that's played an incredibly, it's been a, a central role in my life uh, ever since I can remember. So I'm really excited to see where this can go. But um, I know I interrupted the conversation that we just started because I want this to be as natural as possible, but I'm really curious to know how you got to do what you're doing because you actually had a background in media, but you instead you started off doing something different. St- studying medicine, yeah. Uh, both my parents were dentists and it was quite, kind of required for me to go into one of the sciences and any, anything that was arts related was kind of a bit, you know, on the nose. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I'd always loved writing uh, and from a very early age I'd um, written and taken photographs and got, got stuff published. Um, and so I, medicine and I didn't click. I switched across to journalism, uh, got a cadetship at the ABC, ended up spending 12 years at the ABC, moved into documentaries, Four Corners, A Big Country. As yeah, a producer-director, I won a Logie for Television Reporter of the Year. Get out of town. Mm-hmm. That's uh, this I was is working... the first Logie winner we've ever had on the show. That's... I've won two Logies, in fact. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> now, he, now he's just bragging, Tim. Yeah, I am bragging. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, one for uh, Most Outstanding Documentary, which was something that I did with um, uh, Ray Martin yeah, for the Nine Network. Right. And um, yeah, the um, Television Reporter of the Year was with uh, Mike Willisey. Wow! So you've worked with the big dogs. You've worked with some of the biggest, the biggest reporters out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, dare say you would have, must have learned an enormous amount about uh, investigative journalism, like the real stuff, not the stuff that we see, uh, you know, on a lot of the newspapers these days. Yeah, um, I mean, the thing about TV, of course, as you know, is that there's not a great deal of time. Um, you know, so um, and even with Four Corners, there's not a great deal of time. Um, the piece that uh, I directed with Ray Martin, there was time. It was on the Chelmsford. Um, the Chelmsford scandal, you might remember the mental health issue scandal. Yeah, right. Going back. But um, my heart wasn't really in journalism, Cohen, because um, I, I had always hankered for storytelling. Hmm. And I, veered, I then sort of segued into documentaries, and documentaries then led me into features. And from 1985 onwards, I've just been making feature films. Yeah, right. Anything that we would know? Um, um, uh, Kiss or Kill won me best, uh, best director and best, um, best film at the AFI Awards. Wow. And I think I won another seven AFI Awards as well. <laughs> Just another seven. Yeah. Um, I've, I counted up one day and I've actually been personally nominated for AFIs 12 times. That's incredible. Mm. It was interesting because actually when I started to do the background on you, uh, when Lou put me in front of you, because I've got a massive passion for film and it's only been in the last couple of years where I've really been able to manifest it in some kind of a professional context. Um, so that's something I'm going to want to talk to you more about as we go. But where I'm really going with this is you come from a background in journalism, you know, but real journalism, we're investigative, hard hitting, what are the real facts, not what are the facts that you know, gets clicks and sells newspapers. 
which is kind of interesting when you look at the subject we're going to be talking about because the subject we're talking about is intuition. You know, and it's interesting how for many intuition, and I've noticed this in the last 20 years in business, you know, going back 20 years ago, intuition was not a word you would necessarily want to say from stage without people thinking you're a little bit weird. Yeah, exactly. And then the likes of, you know, Oprah Winfrey and Richard Branson and Bill Gates and still Steve Jobs. And Steven Spielberg. Exactly. George Lucas. There are so many now high profile celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and just good people in general that have created success in their life who now actually acknowledge and give credit to intuition, this internal guidance system that people have for the success that they've had. It's very real. It's very, very real. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Steve Jobs was a huge advocate, but so was Einstein. Mm, you know, so true. People, yeah, so people, you know, come from a scientific mathematical basis have, um, have embraced intuition. Yeah. In fact, some of the greatest scientific breakthroughs have happened through intuition. <sighs> And that's why I love this conversation. Have you um, at any point um, read about neurocardiology? Uh, neuro means brain, cardiology means heart. heart so, yeah. so it's got to be a heart, heart-brain connection. Yeah. Well, there's an institute in America called the Hearth Math Boom. Institute. That's what the yeah. whole basis of neurocardiology has been yeah, mapped on. And, and yeah. the resonance between the two and so yeah. forth. Yeah. So I can, I can kind of uh, match on that one a little bit. Beautiful. <laughs> but that's what I love. Like when I first started studying neuro, because I'm a, I'm a nut for, because I grew up, I've got a father who's a, like a world-leading economist. I got a mother who's a clairvoyant, a psychic. It's like, ta-da! Oh my, oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, I know, oh right? Goodness, what a blend is that? What a blend! So I feel very privileged. But I grew up in an environment where intuition, you know, psychic nature, you know, even reading tea leaves was a daily occurrence in our household. Oh, um, that's and amazing. I've, and I've seen how the the rest of the world can look at that and you know almost shun it to a to a, to a degree, which I did for a long time until I came into my own. Yeah. But it's really fascinating now when we start, you know, hearing from you know, the heart math and the, neurocardi- the neurocardiological science behind that where we start understanding, well, the heart is sending more information to the brain yeah. than the brain is to the heart. Yeah. The heart is really, it re- yeah. has the ability to receive information from its environment. And the heart has brain cells. 40,000 neurons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 100,000 times the electrical charge of any other yeah. organ in the body. Yeah, the only organ true. in the body with sufficient electrical charge to actually imprint yeah. information in the morphogenic field around it. It's incredible. So when you feel something and something feels right, and, and often it's felt in the heart, that's the reason why. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because in Eastern science, they say we've got three, they, they say we've got three brains. We've got the, the head brain, we've got the heart brain, and now they've discovered also there's neurological tissue in the gut. So from your perspective, you know, because a lot of people... Uh, my assumption is that everyone has a different relationship with what the concept or the definition of intuition is. I'm curious to know from your experience, what does intuition mean to you? Well, okay, so I can give you a short answer or a long answer. I'll give you the short answer first. And what, what prompted me to make this film was that I heard a voice as I was driving to the airport in New Orleans. I was working on a movie there. I heard a voice telling me to slow down. I, I, wanted, I was running late for the flight, and in fact, I wanted to speed up. The voice said again, slow down. I slowed down, and this huge truck ran a red light on a cross street and missed me by inches. If that voice hadn't kicked in, and if, more importantly, if I hadn't listened to that voice and acted on it, I would have been killed and I wouldn't be here right now. And so that's what prompted me then to go on this incredible worldwide search to find out what was that voice, where did it come from, and why was my life saved? And I've spent now over a decade studying and researching and talking to people about what is intuition. And I've got to say, Cohen, I was really confused about what intuition is because it's a, it's a word that's used by a lot of people in a mm. whole bunch of different contexts. And I could never really kind, kind of find a definition of what it was that, you know, what that voice was. And what I came up with was this, and I, I made this up myself. Intuition is a sudden, unexplained insight that comes unaided by logic, intellect, or expertise. Mm. Now, that, that is a definition that fits what happens to me. 
But in, in my research and so forth, I found out that, well, again, I, I kind of came to this conclusion, there are three types of intuition. There's survival intuition, which is yep. survival of the species. There's cognitive intuition, which is what a lot of CEOs and people that you might come in contact with refer to as intuition because that's, that's intuition based on expert knowledge. So a CEO, you know, makes a flash intuitive decision, but he's pulling from expert knowledge that's often forgotten knowledge or it's subsumed, what I call subsumed memory recall. And then third category is what your mum would probably believe in, and that's what I call mystical intuition. Yeah, right. And mystical intuition is, is, can't be categorized by any logic or past experience or past knowledge or anything like that. It is the voice that comes and says, slow down. You know, it, it manifests in dreams and coincidences and synchronicities and, and ways that are truly esoteric. And so those, when I, when I started to figure out that there are three types of intuition. So what was the first one again? It was well, the first one is survival. Survival, right. So survival is survival of the species. Yep. And, and that's, that's this uncanny ability that a mother might have yep. for the safety or well-being of a child. But it's also for us adults, you know, we find ourselves in a dark alley somewhere and suddenly, you know, the hairs but on I the back of our But I think back to primal, like when we were like exactly. dragging our knuckles through exactly. the, the it's very jungle and we were like, where do I go to get food? And it's like, yeah. I feel to go this way or I'm going this way and I feel danger. Maybe I should turn around go away exactly yeah you see I, i've figured out that the the primary purpose of intuition is to keep us safe and mm. and from harm yeah because we can't hope to follow our what i will call our destiny path through life if we're you know knocked off by a bear yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know we well, can't so, evolve as a species if we keep wiping ourselves out walking off cliffs well exactly yeah, yeah. and the second purpose then is to is to send us signals constantly to keep us on our path through life and to guide us. Yeah. I've come up with this term, personal guidance system. Love it. PGS. Yeah. Intuition is your personal guidance system and it, it guides you and it guides you personally. Each person has their own intuitive system. It's unique to them. We're born with it. We come into this world with it and it's designed to guide us through life. Why do you think so many people don't trust it? Because it's, it's something scary. I've learned that we've all have, but I've also discovered it's like a muscle. And for many people, you know, if, if it ain't bulging, it's not being used. But why do so many people, why are they afraid to, to, to trust it even in the first place? They're scared of it because what intuition does is it takes you into the unknown and people love to stay in the known. Intellect and logic is a survival instrument and most people are in survival mode. You know, they want to keep their job. They want to keep their relationship. They, you know, they don't want to step into the unknown. The thing is that logic and intellect will contract you. It works in, it works in the past tense. Intuition works in the future tense. Intuition will lead to ex ex um, expansion. Um, logic and intellect and rational thinking will only lead you into archives, into past experience. And you can't hope to expand. It leads to contraction. It's survival. And when, we, when we're in survival mode, we contract. Um, going back to the cave, we, yep. we go back into the cave. All the great discoveries have, been, uh, have really come through intuition. Because intu intuition takes you into the unknown. It's, it's, it is a leap. But most people, are, you know, they, they're wanting to survive each day. You know, they don't want to. It's scary. It's scary to face the unknown. It's scary to jump off that cliff and hope that the universe has got a safety net there for you. And it does. Do you think also sometimes intuition plays a bigger game than we do and sees it way further down the road than what we can uh, and so sometimes it may guide us into a direction or to a decision that may appear at first glance as being bad, 
but based on bigger perspective, like five-year journey hindsight kind of thinking, it, it's actually good. Yeah, yeah. It happens all the time and I, I've heard stories after stories. Um, somebody told me this story about um, uh, he was um, going to see an old girlfriend hoping that, uh, you know, the flame would be rekindled on the, on the way. And his intuition had said, you know, you really do have to see this girlfriend because she is... She will end up being the love of your life. On the way, he had a dreadful car accident. He was put in the spinal unit and he was thinking to himself, yeah, thanks, intuition. <laughs> you, you put me in, in hospital. Wow. Mate. Yeah, good job. Yeah. But the nurse that looked after him, um, he fell in love with and she turned out to be the romance of his life and ended up marrying her. And so, you know, at first, at first thing, you know, he thinks, well, intuition's really stuffed me here. Yeah. <laughs> it's put me in the spinal unit. But he, in fact, did lead to the love of his life. And that's where I think because we've got trust and we've got faith. You know, the trust is, okay, I trust that I'm getting the right message right now and it's putting me in the right direction. But then it's the faith in going, okay, this isn't necessarily what I expected, but I need to have faith that there's a bigger picture going on. And I'm not talking about religious faith. I'm talking about faith in, in insight. What do you think it is that prevents people like having the faith that, okay, something bad's happened? Because I've seen this firsthand. People go, well, I trusted my intuition once and something bad happened. I'm like, well, but you don't realize it's perhaps playing a bigger game than you. What do you think people, what's missing for the faith game? Um, I have an interview in the, in the film that, I, that I've done with Carolyn Mace. Now, Carolyn Mace is one of the most esteemed um, medical intuitives uh, and, and, and scholars, religious scholars in the world. Um, Carolyn Mace said something in the, in the interview that really stuck with me. She said, how do you know what's a bad thing? How do you know what's a bad thing? And I thought about that. You know, I thought, in editing, I thought about that a lot. And I thought about all the bad things that have happened in my life. You know, um, you know, relationships that have broken down or jobs that didn't go where I wanted them to go and, you know, all these sort of things. And I realized that, in fact, had they not happened, I wouldn't be here right now being mm. the person that I am. And I'm really happy being the person that I am right now. And I realized that those bad things, in fact, ended up being good things. Mm. One of the things that I have come to believe is this, and that is that we are all born with a purpose. We come into this life with a purpose, but we forget that purpose. Yeah. And what our intuition tries to do is it tries to keep us on track. It kind of tries to keep us on our destiny path. And it does so by what I call DMs, direct messaging. Yeah, right. <laughs> Now, For all the millennials out there, that's what you get on Instagram. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it is, um, I call it a DDM, Divine Direct Messaging. Oh, I love it. And, and when it, at its heart, really, when you break it all down, that's all intuition is. It's a messaging service mm. and it's pinging us all the time. Yeah. You know, and it might be through dreams. It might be through something that you see on the side of a bus, you know, as it's going by and you go, oh, my goodness, I really should do that. And then you do that, and then that ends up being something that you know opens up another aspect of your life. So there are all these ways that intuition mm. is trying to trying to catch your attention. And one of the things that we don't do, Cohen, is we don't pay attention. Mm. You know, because once again we're in the survival mode. We shut down everything, and we don't pay attention to what um, how intuition is trying to interact with us. I believe that we have an energetic system, and that intuition is a legitimate system. It just works within this energetic realm, and, but it's legitimate like our digestive system, our nervous system, our immune system and so forth. It is a legitimate system, mm -hmm. a functioning system. It's just that science won't validate it because they don't yet have the instruments to measure it. And if science can't measure something, they say it, it doesn't exist, it's not real. And you know, so much of us are ruled by, you know, by what science tells us. 
But in my research, I discovered that 160 years ago, science didn't know that germs cause disease. Mm. Now, that was a kind of breakthrough for me. If 160 years ago, science didn't know that germs don't cause disease, what doesn't science know right now? A lot. <laughs> a lot, because germs have always caused disease. Well, it's interesting because I'm sure you've, you must have seen the heart perception studies that have been carried on, not just you know, in different universities around the world, University of Arizona, they, they did a lot of pioneer studies on the heart's ability to precognitively determine information in the field before it presented. And for those people who aren't familiar with it, they basically had uh, they had this uh, this software algorithm that presented four different types of pictures. You know, there was a romantic, loving picture. Uh, there was like a peaceful sunset picture. There was a highly sexual picture, and there was a highly you know uh, violent picture uh, or, or terrifying picture. And so they would then uh, measure them: EKG, skin moisture, everything. They measured everything, every single response that you could have, and then they would show the individuals the pictures and create the baseline. And then the computer would get set into, into um, uh, what's the fucking mode called? The uh, uh, where random, where even the algorithm itself didn't even know what picture was going to be shown next. It was completely random. But what was interesting is there were a number of organs that actually precognitively were able to determine based on the original baseline of the response from the original showings of the pictures. But the one, the one that had a precognitive ability that far outweighed any other was the heart. So I'm curious to know from your perspective, what role do you think the heart plays when it comes to intuition or does it play a role in your perspective? Well, what, I, what I've come to believe is this, and that is that, um, and you see, Western medicine doesn't acknowledge the chakra system. Mm -hmm. you know, so your mother would know all about the chakra system, yeah. of course. The chakra system is this uh, system of energetic nodal points um, throughout your body. There's seven of them, but there are many more, but the seven main ones. And interestingly, the chakra systems connect with those parts where intuition actually manifests. Now, there's a heart chakra, for instance. There's a gut chakra. There's um, a crown chakra. You know, there's a third eye chakra and so forth. What I believe is this, is that intuition enters our energetic system. That energetic system is both outside of us and inside of us. It, it shifts from the outside into the inside it connects with those chakra points and those chakra points then, and what happens is it's kind of like an interface. There's, a, there's an exchange of information between the energetic and the physiological. You know, so we talked about um, the gut and, you know, and, those, and the heart with the brain cells and so forth. There's this exchange of information on an energetic physiological um, level. And so we feel something in our heart. We feel something in our gut. We have a sense of knowing you know, from those, from those various chakra points. And that, in essence, is how I think it works. So this is where I find heart math really interesting. You know, heart math or the neurocardiology, because I think that's got a stronger basis. Um, heart sends 10 times more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart, which says to me the heart's constantly communicating to our brain. But the information is, you know, it's twofold, I'm going to assume, based on what I've researched, the neurology of the heart, what is it stored, what are the memories that are stored in the hearts. And for people who go, well, the heart doesn't have memory, all you've got to do is Google you know, a heart transplant phenomena and discover that people who have heart transplants often experience memories, sensations, and even in some cases addictions that they never had before. But the heart's sending 10 times more information and it's sending it from the neurology, which is what has it been programmed for, but then also the environment because it has this ability to receive information. So it's sending this information in, from what I can see to the, to the head. Why is it then that the head in many cases either can't hear it? We've already talked about why people don't act on it. But what I'm curious is why do some people go, well, I just don't hear, I don't feel it. I don't hear it. I don't have this voice. I don't get this feeling. Well, you talked before about atrophy, you know, about the muscle, yep. you know, and <laughs> yeah, that, 
Um, we suppress our intuition. It's drummed out of us as kids, you know, in school with peer pressure, you know, all of the, all of those kind of things. And science is one of the, you know, is one of the big bully boys, you know, that tries to beat it, beat us out of it. You see, what I'm really fascinated because in 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 this film that I've done, I've interviewed some of the top scientists, neuroscientists. Yep. Um, um, research scientists into human consciousness and so forth. And, and But it seems to me that all of the research is going, all of the scientific research is going into proving that intuition exists. And I start off from the, from the solid foundation of, oi, intuition exists, forget about it, forget all this scientific stuff, all this crap, you know, about trying to prove it exists. It exists because it saved my life. Intuition yeah. saved my life, so I know it exists. I'm interested in, in science telling me why it exists and how it works yeah. and what its overall function is. And as far as I know, science hasn't done that and I think it's a long way from it. That is such a good point. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people hide behind the need for science to validate their intuition. Mm. You know, if, if, uh, if science can't validate it, then it can't be real and they're hiding behind it. But those people have intuitive responses all the time they just don't know it or they don't acknowledge it. And so this muscle that we talked about atrophying, it's a weak, puny little thing. And so when the big decisions come up, you know, like, um, you know, should I go into a long-term relationship with that person or should I take that job opportunity or should I make this business decision, they, they've got this atrophied muscle that ain't working for them. They can't lift that, you know, 50-kilogram weight, you know, because, because they haven't lifted smaller weights in the past. Do you think it's also fair to assume for some people, because we live in a world now where we are just dominated and bombarded with commercial messaging, we're dominated and bombarded with information and messaging. And one of the things that I've learned working with individuals is the more I get them to calm their mind, the more intuitive they become. Because it's almost, I offer, the way I view it, and this is the analogy, you literally have the creator sitting on your shoulder and he's whispering the secrets of direction, the secrets of life and the secrets yeah. of decision-making in your ear, yeah. but you're standing in a mosh pit of a, uh, of a U2 concert and, <laughs> and you can't hear shit because yeah. your brain is just so noisy. So do you think that there is a role in, obviously it's a muscle, we've got to learn how to, to lift it and how to use it, but do you also think that there's a level of quiet that's required in order to have that level of reception, to have that tuning? Absolutely. Um, my film goes into five steps into how to access your intuition. Stop, listen, ask, trust, follow. Oh, I love it. So stop, listen, ask, trust, follow. And stop is the first step. And, you know, it's like you've got to stop and you've got to get rid of all the distractions, put, put your cell phone in another room. Um, but, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, for me to really become intuitive, I've got to take up meditation. That's a load of crap. You don't. I mean, I, I have some of my greatest intuitive moments in the shower, you know, in the morning. Which is a form of meditation. It is, yeah. absolutely. And, and also you're coming out of that sleep state, you know, so, yeah. so you know, your soul hasn't kind of, you know, come back into your body quite yet. Yeah. You know, so, so you, you, yeah, but walking along a beach, going for a swim, uh, taking the dog for a walk, these are, these are times when you can still your mind. But, you know, so many times we walk along the beach and we've got, you know, headphones in, you know, and we're, we're listening to podcasts. Oh, sorry, with respect. <laughs> it's okay to listen funny, to yours. <laughs> funny, current podcasts that have very well-qualified, incredible people on them. <laughs> Absolutely. I know I do. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? I mean, we, we've actually got to consciously detach mm. from all the noise around us so that we can listen to that little bird, as some people call it, yeah. that quiet voice. Um, because, yeah, you know, it is wiser than us. It's trying to tell us stuff 
that is going to actually better our life. Mm. Yeah, there's this old fable, uh, good or bad, hard to say. You, you've probably heard it before, it was, and it's perfect for this conversation. Uh, there's a farmer who um, goes out and buys a horse, goes to, the, goes to the markets to buy a horse, doesn't get the horse that he wanted, only can get a horse that is less than he wants, can't, that can't do the exact job that he wants, brings it home and the neighbor goes, oh, you know, it's so terrible that you couldn't get the horse he wanted. He goes, oh, good or bad, hard to say. Uh, the next day, the horse runs away. Um, neighbor comes out, oh, terrible situation, horses run away. He goes, oh, good or bad, hard to say. Three days later, the horse comes back, brings nine other wild horses with him. Neighbor comes back, you're so lucky. You now have, you know, 10 horses. Your horse brings back, you know, another nine horses. He goes, oh, good or bad, hard to say. Uh, three days later, his son is getting on one of the horses, trying to break it in, gets kicked off, breaks his leg. Neighbor comes back, oh, my God, that's terrible. He goes, oh, good or bad, hard to say. Three days later, the army comes through, you know, conscripting, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. uh, people to, to, to join the army and they look at him with a broken leg and go, oh, I'm sorry, we're going to have to overlook you and mm -hmm. move on. Neighbor comes over, oh, you're so lucky. And again, good or, hard, good or bad, hard to say. And that really is the role, our role within the intuition messaging system is to not necessarily judge what the message is saying, but to, as you say, stop, stop, stop listen, listen, ask, ask trust, trust, follow. follow. Yeah. And, you know, trust, of course, is a big one we talked about, yeah. but also following because, you know, on, on one level you can, you can intellectually go, okay, that's an intuitive response. I, I trust that as being valid. But then they don't act on it. They don't move forward with it. And following through, and particularly in business, you know, because you're under, in business you're under so many pressures from shareholders or, you know, board or, you know, all of the, you know, numerous pressures that somebody in a top position, a decision-making position is in. And they get to a point where they go, oh, I've got an intuitive response to that. I trust that. But then they don't have the balls to follow through. Mm. Maybe you should add that one as like number five balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so the female, you know, female top executives can take their own. Well, uh, yeah, that's next definition point. of that. Yeah, but what's interesting is you do hear, and I and I and I've experienced this in my in my youth because you know my mum used to mix with some really interesting and weird people, um, but I have noticed not just from there but also since then that women in many cases are almost. Um, for whatever reason, and we can talk about that, I'm curious to know your perspective, why is it that women in some cases, not all, are more prone to be able to hear and act on the intuition whereas men tend to resist it a little bit more? Um, I, think, I think once again it comes down to very primitive things. Um, you know, the female species, the female, female people of you know, gender is, um, we talked before about survival intuition, you know, and so, so they have honed their intuitive responses to keep the kids alive and, and all of that. Um, right. But um, there's also the other aspect of survival intuition which a lot of men are into and that is that I've got to keep this job, I've got to go out and earn this amount of money, I can't afford to listen to my intuition because, you know, you see I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment on the film and I'm, I'm looking at this aspect of um, conditional intuition. Conditional intuition is I will become intuitive once I get through college. I will become intuitive once I get that job. I will become intuitive once I've got a stock portfolio that allows me to be intuitive. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Intuition is un unconditional. Yeah. Absolutely unconditional. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny you should say that because, you know, oftentimes, you know, people look at living life in often the same way. You know, once I get that job, then I'll then I'll relax and I'll spend more time with my family. I'll be happy. Yeah. yeah. The happiness yeah. equation. Yeah. yeah. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because I've had so many people say to me, oh, and I've, you know, I was speaking to large rooms, whether it be hundreds or thousands of people, and, you know, we start talking about intuition and oftentimes, you know, you can get a mixed response from a room. 
And you know, I've said this thousands of times. Okay, well, let's let's battle test this. Let's see if we've all got levels of intuition that we perhaps haven't acknowledged or recognised. And I say, so how many here people here have ever been in a situation before where someone's walked in the room, they haven't even opened their mouth, you've never met them before, and you go, mm, there's something about this person I don't like, and then they open their mouth and you're like, fuck, I knew it. And 99% of the hands in the room go up. Do you think on and which I then validate? So we're all intuitive. It's just degrees that vary. Do you think on some level there is still perhaps a level of stigma? around what we are referring to as an intuition that is preventing people from fully investing or having the trust and the faith to, to really get into it. Absolutely there is, yeah. That's one of the things that I hope this film does is demystify intuition because one of the reasons that I've called it um, personal guidance system is I'm really pushing this notion that it is a legitimate system. Mm. It's just that science hasn't validated it. And I think science is, uh, has, has a lot to answer for, really, mm. you know, from that point of view. But if you look at intuition as being a system that we all have from birth, like, you know, like our cardiovascular system, um, and we start to treat it like that, suddenly a whole lot of the, the woo-woo and the mystique of it drops away. And one of the things that I hope to do with this film is also make intuition accessible to men. Because I think if, if more men became intuitive, we would have a less combative, less hostile, less, less competitive um, uh, world, really. Well, and that kind of is where I was going with my And judgmental too. I, and I agree 100%. And that's where I was going to earlier because one of the things that I've seen, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, that prevents both men and women, but it is typically more dominant in men, from listening to the, their, their intuition is this thing that we now call an ego. You know, and, and again, ego is very much like intuition. It's gone from being a buzzword to something that is now discussed on a very regular basis, especially in business and personal lives, but do you think the ego plays a role, depending on how it's been programmed, in preventing us from listening? Um, people that I've interviewed for the film say they talk about ego as being the small self um, and intuition being the higher self. Um, and the small self is, um, you know, it's like, um, it's like the bully boy, you yeah, know, wants to take control. Noxious, arrogant, wants to control everything. That's thinks right. Thinks it knows everything. It's That's always right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and certainly in New Age thinking, there, there is a, a large school of thought that, that says that ego is a bad thing, you know, that it's trying to crush, um, crush the mystical, crush the divine, crush, crush the, you know, those innate qualities that we all have. I disagree. I, I am so on with you right now. Keep I, I, I really disagree yeah. because I think we need ego. It serves a purpose, like everything. Exactly. There's a purpose to exactly. it. Exactly. And what I, what I think that purpose is, is it defines us as people. In other words, we give service to our family, we give service to our job, we give service to the world because of our ego. And it's individual to us, it's particular to us, and we need it. Where intuition and ego work together... Okay, so you can get an intuitive response. You can get an intuitive response. I'm, I'm going to create, I'm going to, you know, um, Musk, what's, what's his name? Elon. Elon Musk. He says, I'm going to create this car and it's going to be this, this, and this. And, and that's an intuitive thing. Then his ego kicks in and then the car is going to look like this. It's going to be shaped like this. It's going to go this fast. You know, so ego, ego and intuition are working. The ego of Elon Musk is such that it is giving... Um, a particular personality and characteristic to the service that intuition has provided him. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. And this is why I say, like, there's 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 good food and there's, there's there's healthy food, there's unhealthy food. There's good ego, there's healthy ego, and there's unhealthy ego. And what I've learned through through my own experiences, an ego is is malleable. 
It's like a muscle. If it's unhealthy and it's weak, it can be developed to become stronger and healthier if we develop it in the right way. Because I think oftentimes people's ego has been programmed through, you know, whatever references they've got from being grown up to be and because re- he, he said it's a, it's a representation of self. I think you said something to that effect. Small, small self. Small self, right? Yeah. Um, and psychologically speaking, I think that's very true. But I often think our ego is a product of training. It's a, an ego is a product of our environment, whether oh. it be healthy or otherwise. And parenting. And, sorry? And Parent, parenting. Boom. Oh, that's a whole big one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually have learned that ego is something we can shape it, we can morph it, we can exercise it in a way to become healthier so that it's not a dirty word because I think that is the challenge because everyone's going, well, ego is a dirty word, check your ego at the door. And yes, we should be checking your unhealthy ego at the door. But like you say, a healthy ego, from my perspective, is the reason why we have so much innovation in this world. You know, it's... Uh, it's you, you need it. You really need it to, to, to fulfill those promises and those dreams that intuition has provided you. That's beautiful stuff. So again, I want to look at before we dive into those um, into those steps, some of the things that also inhibit the ability to to hear intuition. And we've talked about how the brain can get so noisy, but there are other obviously other biological factors that can, from my experience, that can prevent people from being able to interpret the intuition that's coming through. I'm curious to know what your perspective is though on the effects of emotions and the effects of stress when it comes to intuition. Emotions and stress, when they're all passed down, when, when, you, when you dig right down archaeologically, come down to fear. They all come down to fear, you know. So the stress might be, I'm going to lose my job. That's fear. Uh, the emotion might, might be, oh, I think that person doesn't like me. That's fear. It all comes down to fear. And fear is the biggest inhibitor to intuition. If we get to a point where we can let go of fear, step out of fear, and suddenly everything becomes so much easier. All the burdens are shifted. And strangely, Kerwin, you know, after the making of this film, I'm now at that point. Um, I should explain, I've made 16 movies, like 16 feature-length movies, as a producer and as a director. Yeah. You know, and I've won awards and I've gone to film festival and all that sort of stuff. And that, and that you know, that, that gets you an ego. Um, humility is when some of those films don't work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that gets you humble. Yeah. <laughs> Mighty fast, I tell you. Um, but um, I started out making this film the way that I tried to make... I, I'm sorry, I, I started out trying to make this film the way I'd made f- films in the past, and that is through very strong type A personality characteristics. You set a goal, you set a time frame. Um, Logic storyboards. Exactly. You, yeah. you blast through obstacles, you know, you're relentless, you're ruthless, you, you know, and you get to make the movie. I went into making a movie on intuition and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. Um, you know, the financiers that I dealt with in the past didn't want to know, the, you know, the sales agents didn't want to know, all of that sort of thing. And, it suddenly dawned on me that the only way that I could make a film on intuition was to become intuitive. Yeah, and, right. and that was scary. That was scary because what, what that meant was that all of, the, all of the ways that I've made movies in the past had come down to control. Producer, director, my production company, in most instances, yeah. I had control. You make a film intuitively, you, you have to let go of that. You have to let go of control. And, I, and, it, um, and that was terrifying. But ultimately, uh, okay, I should explain. I was at the point of giving up. I've been trying for about 12 years to make this film and nothing was working. Yeah, right. And I had, I had one night I had a dream. And the dream was very clear, very, very 
very, very clear messaging, and that was I had to go out and make this movie. I, I shouldn't worry about having the crews that I had in the past, the budgets that I had in the past. I just had to start immediately off my own dime, even if it meant going out, buying a camera, shooting the bloody thing myself. I had to do it. But the thing is... Great drone work, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's a good drone operator. Yeah. Scotty Last, he's good. Um, he's got to pay me for that plug. <laughs> um, I woke up out of that dream and I looked across at the bedside clock and it was 4.44 in the morning. Okay, so now I thought, I wasn't into numerology at that point, yep. but I thought, this is weird, you know, because the, the dream was so clear. I mean, it was like a cliche, you know, like sitting up in bed, eyes bug-eyed, bug wide open, you know, and then I look across, it's 4.44. So still at that point having these type A personalities, I, I, I sleep with my iPad. <laughs> so I immediately Googled what does 444 mean and up came entry after entry after entry essentially saying the same thing and that is that it is a very powerful spiritual angelic number telling you that you at this moment are surrounded by angels, archangels and spirit guides. They are urging you to move forward with your endeavour. If you use your... I hope you weren't sleeping naked by the way. Because <laughs> if they watch... Anyway, carry on, sorry. Um, I'm going to think about that one. <laughs> um, if you, no, essentially what, what it said was that these spirit guides and angels have got your back. Yeah, right. And that if you move forward, trusting your intuition, you, it will lead you to great success. So here I am, right, in bed, naked, wow. or not naked, I can't quite remember. <laughs> we'll add the photos to, to back that up. <laughs> and thinking, what the hell do I do? You know, like, like I've just had this dream that, that was, could not have been more clear. And then I'm, I'm reading this about what 444 means. What do I do? And I decided at that moment that I would believe that. And in believing that, the film got made and it changed my life. Wow. I, that's the part I, I didn't know. And that's an incredible part of the story. But it is interesting when we look at the biology of fear and the biological effects on the physiology which is also the effect on, I guess, what we would call the spirit nature of, of intuition. And this is what I found really interesting about um, you know, some of the work that I learned with neurocardiology and the role the heart plays, right, is when we experience fear, you know, we release a number of, number of biochemicals, a number of neurohormones, you know, like one's adrenaline, one's uh, cortisol. You know, cortisol reduces our IQ by as much as you know, 30 to 50% in like seven minutes. Uh, and adrenaline and cortisol, when kicked off together, actually contract our visceral sac. And the visceral sac, are you, 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 are you playing with me? You know what this is? Um, it's a bit, a bit above the other sac. <laughs> it's the one we can see. It's quite visceral. <laughs> right. So the visceral sac is what contains all of our major organs. Mm -hmm. And when, it's, when, it is, when it is activated, it contracts and it squeezes all the major blood flow out of those organs because, you know, the small intestine, large intestine, the largest blood flow of any organ in the body. So it squeezes all of that blood out into the extremities so that we can fight or flight. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is, first of all, we used to live with the saber-toothed tiger out there. Mm -hmm. And now for many people, they live with the saber-toothed tiger in, inside their head. Yeah. And so, you know, they're in many cases stressed all the time. Yeah. But one of the things that I discovered through the study of neurocardiology is one of those, every organ is affected and blood flow is limited, oxygen is limited, nutrients is limited, and also the ability to eliminate is limited, which over a long term can create dysfunction or dis-ease within an organ but also I started to rec recognize that the heart, heart rate variability, which is the heart's ability to open and close, uh, but the heart's ability to fully open properly is actually compromised when stress is engaged. 
And so what I'm curious to know is, do you think there's any connection between, you know, fear preventing us from becoming intuition based on those biological factors or is it just a, is it just a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence at all. You know, before I talked about contraction, it's exactly what you're talking about. You know, um, logic, uh, intellect, um, small, small self-ego, bad ego, if you yep. like, leads to contraction. And what you're talking about there is you're talking about, you know, the physical manifestation of that. It's contraction, whether, whether it's on an energetic yep. level or whether it's um, a physical level like that. It is contraction. Um, you know, we talked about the cave before and the saber-toothed tiger. That, that contraction means going back into the cave, you know, hiding in, you know, the darkest corner. And, you know, what intuition leads to is expansion, so if you find those still moments, if you find those quiet moments... Which, by the way, is the purpose of the universe. Yeah. It's constantly expanding. Well, exactly. Interesting. But what's interesting about the universe is that we don't know what most of it is. Mm. You know, 98% of it, I think, is dark matter. We still haven't figured out what dark matter is. Mm. Now, if dark matter, in fact, is consciousness, then it becomes interesting. Drop, you could drop the mic right now. You literally could. <laughs> I had this conversation with a friend the other day. I was like, do you, do you believe in aliens? They're like, oh, my God, alien theory, that's just obnoxious. And I was like, I said, what's obnoxious is we're this tiny little freckle of a planet in this vast, incredible you know, dimension of multiverse, and you're arrogant enough to assume that there's just life on this planet. Now, I know this is going to freak a few people out playing at home, but there is a much bigger game going on. And like you said, 98% of this universe, we have no idea what's going on. Yeah. But what's interesting... Well, we still don't know what gravity is. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is one of the problems I have with science. <laughs> you know, you know? I mean, I've got major problems with science. I think science is, you know, good. But, but you know, um, coming back to this thing that science hasn't acknowledged the chakra system, the chakra yeah. system and the energetic flows within our body is something that acupuncture is based on, Chinese medicine thousands is based on. Thousands of years. Thousands of, yeah. of years, you know. Yeah. And a lot of people, even in the West, um, you know, swear by acupuncture and, and these kind of energetic healing processes. But Western science won't do it because they don't have the, the instruments to measure it. It comes down to something as simple as that. And also maybe there's a bit of ego in there. Yeah. And yeah. maybe and also... Bad, bad ego. Yeah, bad ego yeah. and also commercial viability, you know, because yeah. we, we do... The, the, there are a lot of people who make a lot of money off people not being well. Yeah. You talk about paying attention and it's so funny you should say that. You know, we're talking about paying attention and contraction expansion. Um, there's a guy that I'd love you to meet. His name's uh, Chris Barkway. He wrote the... He was actually the, featured as the, the guy behind a book called The Magician's Way. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of the book by any chance? I have, yeah. Okay, Magician's Way by William White Cloud. So William actually did. Oh, yes. William White Cloud wrote the book after he did this coaching session with Chris Barkway. And, and um, I think he called him in the book, uh, Steve Addington in the book. Um, and when I read this book, I was like, oh my God, I need, is this, like, first of all, is this real? And is this person in this book, Steve Addington, is this guy real? And I, I ran downstairs and I gave it to my, my I told my roommate, he's like, oh, you got to read this book. So he read the book. And then he comes up to me and he's like, is this guy, because he's a golf nut. I'm not a golf nut, but I like the psychology of golf. And he comes up and he goes, is this guy real? Is there really a Steve Addington? I was like, I don't know, but I need to find out. No kidding. Two weeks later, my roommate comes home. This is like 15 years ago, 16 years ago. He goes, mate, you are not going to fucking believe what just happened. He goes, I said, what, what happened? He goes, I was just in the supermarket walking through, saw a guy I haven't seen in five years. He says, so what have you been up to? He goes, oh, mate, I've been playing lots of golf. He goes, oh, really? He goes, you should speak to this guy called Chris Barkway. He says, why? He goes, oh, he's just this really good golf coach. He goes, hey, give me his number. I rang him on the way home. And Chris Barkway says to him, so tell me what you're after in a golf coach. He goes, well, I just read this book called The Magician's Way. And then there's laughter on the other telephone. And Rowan's like, well, what's so funny? He goes, I'm Steve Addington. And I was like, whoa. So anyway, 
we all connected, became best friends. Okay, so so just on that for a second, do you now do you regard that as a random no, thing, or no. do you, or do you think that there are larger forces at play? I always believe there are larger forces at play, but I think I do have an unfair advantage based on the way that I was brought up, and I think coincidence um, and even the term serendipity is often a way that we can justify these things as wow, yeah. that was just a. See, yeah. to me, the word coincidence is that either a fortunate or unfortunate situation that happens. Mm-hmm. But to me, there are no coincidences. Everything is happening exactly as it should be, how it's been laid out. We do have a level of ability to affect, but I think everything is divine in its mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. But that's just my perspective. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is when I started, I started working with Chris, I started getting these, these coaching sessions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm out in the, uh, I think it was on the ninth hole of Balgala Golf Course. And it was a beautiful sunny day and, we were, and I was going through some pretty, pretty um, heavy stuff at the time. One of my businesses, I was looking at exiting for a whole range of reasons that weren't good. And um, he goes to me, he came in, he goes, you're just, ex- you're just focusing on the wrong thing. He says, because whatever you focus on expands. And, you know, I was like, well, yeah, I've heard that. I'm, you know, I've studied a lot of psychology. Yeah, I've, yeah, I get it. I get it. No, mate, no, you don't get it. Close your eyes. So I closed my eyes. He goes, I want you to focus on the birds. Just focus on listening to the birds. Mm. And so as you'd expect, you know, what we focus on, what mm. we pay attention to expands. So I started mm. hearing more and more birds. But then literally, I was woken out of this state. I literally had to open my eyes because a flock of fucking lorikeets, and you know how noisy these little guys mm. are, kind mm. of screaming through. These are bright red, bright, you know, bright mm. red, bright green, mm. Mm. bright purple, blue, come, and they came screaming and twirling through us. And I opened my eyes and he just looked at me and he just went, Whoa. Like, whoa. Mm. And then he goes, mm. okay, let's try something new. Close your eyes and just focus on the traffic. Mm. And so sure enough, the birds went away. Like, And I mean, not just the birds went away, the sound of the birds went away and the, the noise of the traffic comes up and starts getting louder and louder and louder to a point where we're like 30 seconds in and then all of a sudden you hear a uh, like a, it's, it, from what I can hear because I couldn't see, it was like a truck slams on the brakes and you hear it go, and I know it was a truck because it was like, it didn't like, it was like, and then you just hear this smash. We both throw ourselves open and he just goes, okay, well, first of all, we'll stop doing that. Yeah, Cohen, I mean, you were responsible there, you know, possibly for, you know, severe injury. But mate. that's what I said I mean, to him. I was like, know. dude, how, the, how do I live with this? He goes, well, first and foremost, you didn't see it. So we don't know if anyone was hurt. He said, that could have just been, and again, everyone's going to go, oh, come on, for God's sakes. But he said, all you heard was sounds. What you got was a message. Don't judge the message by what you think happened around mm. it. But, you know, what's interesting about that story is, is this, and that is that what, what I, I believe is that our in, intuition, um, those larger forces at play, if you like, are constantly pinging you saying, Oi, we're here mm. and we will show you that we're here. And so when, you, when those flock of lorikeets came in, that was these larger forces of play, higher realms, if you like, showing you, demonstrating to you just how powerful you are as a person. And it's so funny. That's exactly what Chris said. He said, this is just a demonstration of, and, and I, don't look, I don't want this to sound an egotistical way because this is for all of us. This is just yeah. a demonstration of how powerful we all yeah, exactly. are. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting because when I, because I teach, I'm a bit of an, I'm a bit of a freak in the business context because I actually teach this in business, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that is quite unusual for the most part. And I call it the unfair advantage because the mm-hmm. unfair advantage in business is knowing what moves to make before anyone else knows, you yeah. know, you're even making a move. And that's where intuition fits in. Boom. Big yeah. time. Yeah. Exactly that. But then, you know, I started to teach this to broader audiences um, through content called Power to Create, which is just letting everyone know that we all, it's not just business people have access to it. Everybody has access to yeah, it. Yeah. And if we have the ability 
ability to regulate emotions in a healthy way to keep us clear. If we have the ability and the tools to regulate stress in a healthy way to enable us to keep us clear, but also that that trust, that knowing that we can listen, we really do get, you know, the keys to the kingdom in so many ways because we're literally told what to do. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it's an incredibly powerful tool. You know, it's an incredibly powerful resource. And it's available to every single one of us. You know, you don't have to you, be a big CEO or anything like that. You don't. It's not on subscription. No. You don't have to pay for it up no. front on lay-by. <laughs> it's free. It's true. Yeah. And how many? T- how often in li- in life do we get access to such incredible information mm. that is free? Okay, the fucking mm. internet. But that's. Um, <laughs> but you get you take my point. Yeah. So let's talk about these steps now, so that we can make this practical. Because this, by the way, this is a great. I am just so in my element. I, my intuition is, and I hope you don't mind me saying, we're going to do a project together. Okay. Cool. We are going to film. Yeah, we're going to do a film or something together. Yeah, because we've been saying, like, we've actually been saying for the last. I've been saying this for ten years that I'm going to get into film, mm-hmm. and it's only since what we've been doing in social media that I've had filmmakers around me. Like, okay, now I have the tools. I have the talent. I've got incredibly mm-hmm. talented people like Tim mm-hmm. and Matthias and mm-hmm. uh, and Johan and Lou and and Abby. Um, but what's interesting is I've been saying as of this year, our goal is to actually make a, either a short film or a short mm-hmm. documentary. Mm-hmm. To put into some things. So anyway, I'm just putting it out there. I've already felt it. Whether or not you know it or not, <laughs> you may not even want to. This could get fucking awkward. But I sense we're going to do something. It's just too. Yeah. No, I, I like I like the fact that you swear. Oh, dude, I yeah. am. I'm, I, I'm I, like I, Anthony Robbins. Uh, yeah. Man, man, does he swear? Oh, he swears a lot. You've been yeah. to UPW? Uh, no, I've was, seen some of his. Yeah, yeah, that, he's, yeah. Got, he's got a point about. Yeah, I get in does. trouble all yeah. the time. So let's talk about these steps. Let's bring a level of practice because oftentimes mm-hmm. intuition is seen as something that is, you know, that is a airy fairy. Yeah, but yeah. so let's create some practicality. Mm-hmm. What are the steps to, to to tapping into the PGS? Well, I, I went to um, stop, listen, ask, trust, follow. But I think, in fact, even before that, there are a couple of steps. One is you have to acknowledge that it exists. You have to acknowledge it because if you don't, if you don't acknowledge yeah. that it exists, you, you're going nowhere. It's got to be a belief. Then you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing to work with it. Uh, and that's a terribly important one. And then you've got to pay attention. And paying attention then starts to move us into this stop, listen, ask, trust, follow thing. But um, but those those three steps, acknowledgement, willingness, and paying attention. Paying attention both internally and externally. You know, so paying attention to the flock of lorikeets, for instance, and seeing significance in them, not dismissing it as just some crazy coincidence, mm. but then paying attention internally to all of those murmurs of your heart, you know, and the gut feelings and, and that sense of knowing. Um, you know, paying attention is terribly, terribly important. But stopping, listening, asking. The thing about asking is don't expect, don't, uh, don't put conditions on the answer. Um, you, you know, you can because we don't always like what it tells us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, a wonderful um, psychiatrist that I interviewed in Los Angeles um, said it is the purity of the request that then Ooh. the pure, purity of the request that. Ooh, that's a write it down. It really yeah, is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know that that and then the answer comes. The right answer comes. Trust. We've talked about huge, 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 and following through. And then balls. Oh, and balls, balls. and follow kind of go. Hand in hand, no pun well, intended. Well, hand in ball, not intended. <laughs> so, okay, that's great. So, stop, slow down. You know, listen because I think that is the quietness of the mind. Like, mm-hmm. so we should be creating space to listen. We should be whether it's walking on a beach, a level of mindfulness. You know, even cleaning. You know, can can, can give doing us doing the mindful. dishes exactly. You know, doing something like that, doing something repetitive, some something where you're taken outside of the you know the chatter of your mind. You know, some people talk about um, you know having a monkey mind. Yeah. Um, 
my mind is like a rampaging gorilla that's been tasered. <laughs> I can tell On you. crack. On yeah. crack, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes a lot. And I'm sure it's, yeah. it's the same with you because, you know, you're, you're busy, you're full of ideas. I'm ADHD. Like, I do a lot of work to yeah. calm this shit. Well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so you're the rampaging gorilla... That's been tasered on crack, and we've got to add a couple more to that. <laughs> okay, I'm dyslexic. We could keep going. Three brain injuries. We could just honestly, like, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I just have enjoyed this conversation so much. Trust, trusting is a big one, and and that's I the think one. It is, and that that's the key to it because you know you can get to that point, and you know you get these intuitive signals, and then trusting, mm. and what that means is you've got to trust that your back's covered. You know that there is that there is that safety net there. You've got to step off that ledge and not be prepared to crash to the rocks below, but to soar, mm. to fly, you know, to go to great heights. And trusting it will do that. But on the same time, do we need to trust that it may, we may actually hit the ground before we actually learn to fly? Well, because it's almost like we're putting a condition on trust that it's going to give that. Well, for as long as we trust it, we'll be okay. But again, yeah. it's that short-term thinking I think that gets us into trouble. One of the things that I learned was this notion of divine timing. Mm. You know that we have our timing. You know that that we think that this should happen within the, this time frame. And if it if it doesn't, you know, you talked before about you know this much bigger picture and this much bigger cycle. Um, we're only seeing a small sliver at any given time of what we think you know is is our fortune or misfortune. Um, but the universe has a much bigger time frame. Grand plans. Yeah. And, you know, when I think about it, I, okay, so I think about, um, you know, we talked before about coincidences and we talked about all these things. I think that there's like this puppet master somewhere and pulling all of these strings, but there are like these millions and millions of strings. You know, Kerman's walking down the street and he's got to bump into this person around this corner, but for him to go, he doesn't normally go around this corner, he goes around the other corner because, you know, they've got a coffee and something, you know, but today I'm going to send him around this corner so that he's got to meet this person. And then I've got to figure out this person he's got to meet doesn't normally go that way, you know, so so there's a lot that the universe has got to figure out. Yeah. There's a lot that's got to coordinate. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a little while, but you see, there's no time and space. There's no time and space. I love that. It's all, it doesn't exist. So... Ask the purity of the question. I love that. So, what does the answer sound like? Because you know, is it for some people, it's a voice. Is it for others, you know, a sensation and a feeling? And is it for others, just like maybe a symptom of mental illness? (laughs) Well, you know, I I, I went to um, up to Dharamshala, right to the the border of Tibet, and I interviewed this Buddhist scholar, and he talked about this. We talked about voices, and he said, in Tibet and in um, some of these Buddhist uh, countries, people come to them with all of the symptoms of schizophrenia and what they do is they develop them and they train them and instead of medicating them and institutionalizing them, they say these people can be seers, yeah. they, can be, they can be oracles and let's, let's develop these powers. And I thought, my goodness, you know, what a, what a way of thinking about that. It's beautiful and it's pure, like it really is pure rather than just labeling them as someone that is perhaps crazy or schizophrenic, like actually tapping into it. Yeah. Getting back to your question, I talk about personal guidance system and everybody is different. Like I heard heard this voice but my intuition now works with me day by day just on a sense of knowing, right and wrong, yes or no, you know, and I've learned now to go not even question that. Okay, so... Um, you know, I had a sense of knowing that um, that this interview would work out really well. Um, 
It's Absolutely. a bloody good interview. You got to because honestly, I watched your other interviews and you came across a little bit like a dry biscuit, and it wasn't you; it was the people interviewing you. No offense. Oh yeah. Um, well, I can blame them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, I got I, I got to say, Cohen, the um, it's taken a little bit for me to come out of myself. You know, to talk is about the this confidence stuff. to talk about it. Well, you know, because because the film is a very personal story. Yeah, right. And somebody said I'm coming out of a spiritual closet. Yeah, <laughs> very much. You I know, so it. so it's I'm getting more comfortable with it and talking about personal things and also talking about things that are of a mystical nature, which a lot of people are very uncomf- un- uncomfortable with. Yeah, but but, I- but sayos, by the way, are very good. Sayers? Sayers. 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 Biscuits? Oh, Dry God. Biscuits, yeah. I know. We could, there are so many yeah. places we can go and we won't because we already <laughs> went there in the post. Pre, I should say. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, look, Bill, I'm incredibly grateful to have you here. For people who want to find out more about you and find out more about this incredible media, movie, Personal Guidance System, where can they find out more? Probably the easiest place is the website, the film's website, pgsthemovie.com. Fantastic. And if they just Google my name, billbennett.com.au, then they'll find out about me. And you tell me you're across social media. You're all across social media. You're across Instagram, Facebook. Yep. As Bill uh, Bennett? As Bill Bennett. All right. Yeah. Or, or PGS the movie. Okay. And yeah. for those of you playing at home, by the time we finish our project together, you will love me calling you Billy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll call you. Let me think. What can I call you? Call me whatever you want, as long as it's not late yeah. for a meal. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, an absolute honor, real pleasure. Bill Bennett, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews. Make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com, and also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray. 